so many people hate their own response to the following question. So what does your company actually do? Because in this moment, my friend, you have three options, okay? Number one, pitch slap your prospect. Number two, fumble your way through a long-winded response. And number three, deliver a punchy elevator story that sparks intrigue. Now, if you're nodding your head at number three, but you're like, hold up, I don't even know where to begin, then hey, don't worry. I've got your back. All right, head on down to www.theraviregiani.com forward slash your elevator story to unlock your very own free elevator story script, template, and guide. Welcome to the Influential Communicator Podcast, where my mission is to help B2B salespeople sell more by becoming authentic storytellers and impactful communicators without suppressing who they truly are or their values. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani, and without further wait, let's get into it. From Texas State University, where she studied anthropology, to stumbling into the world of sales in 2015, Laura Torres is now the sales enablement and effectiveness lead over at Notion. And she's actually here on today's episode to specifically demystify the one question that's always niggling away at a sales leader in today's world. What sales methodology is right for us? And Laura is here to teach us how to create one that suits the DNA of your organization without a one-size-fits-all approach. Welcome to the show, my friend. What's good? How are you? I'm so excited to be here. It's beautiful in San Francisco today. I have my coffee. I'm stoked to talk about this. Ready to rock, my friend. Ready to rock. I love it. I love it. So listen, I know you studied anthropology back in the day, and I'm curious to know, what is one thing that you took from your degree that you now actually use in sales enablement today? I mean, so much. I think the number one thing that I always think about is just critical thinking. I think that major itself, I had one class that just really opened my eyes to what does critical thinking even mean? And it was my professor telling us, all right, I want you to read this research paper, and then I want you to tell me everything that is wrong with it and what you would do to go about it in a better way. And I really valued that class because it really helped me with my writing skills, and that's something that I absolutely use to this day. And it really helped me shift perspective and and think of, is there anything I'm missing? Are there any gaps here that I could really think through? What questions could I ask instead to get better results from this research that I'm you know, being very critical of? So those are some things I absolutely use in my day-to-day, just critical thinking, shifting perspectives, asking better questions, and overall uh, being curious. So I really value that from the major. What's interesting about what you said is it's very similar to receiving a sales methodology as a salesperson, having to accept it for what it is without any critical thinking and then going, okay, well, this is the way I've been told to do it. So it must be so, right? And I think the beautiful thing that you've been able to do at Notion is take the good of what connects with you in the world of methodologies 
throw away what doesn't and then really create your own. But before we get into it, for those weirdos who don't know what Notion or who Notion are really, how would you describe your value proposition in a punchy way? Yeah, I think Notion is in itself a connected workspace. It's a place where you're not only taking notes in the form of documents, but that's able to connect to your projects that you're working on, really enables you to work in one place. And for me, that's really important when I'm collaborating with other teams like product marketing or even the sellers that I work with. I have an enablement calendar that lives in Notion and able to access it along with the recording, along with the doc that we used for the training itself. It really just makes everything so much more efficient, visible, and it's really nice to look at. So I think that it's just a really beautiful product that's just seamless and connected makes your teams work better, faster, and more together. So it's a, it's a great tool. It's funny when you listen to people who don't really believe in their product or don't really use it, right? You're like, ah, oh, there's no confidence and conviction. And the beauty about <laughs> the beauty about Notion is you actually use it for your salespeople. So you can probably figure out the bugs before clients even do because you are using it day to day, which is dope, which is dope. Now on that concept rather of sales methodologies. So, you know, Medic, Gap, Challenger, Command of the Message, whatever it might be. If you had to pick one that really resonates with you in today's market, which one would you pick and why? Yeah, I think that it's a combination of Medic and Command of the Message. Okay. And I say combination because, you know, Medic, MedPick, or uh, if you've used something like a Bansi, you know, or Bant, that in itself is the qualification, right? You're trying to understand the gaps you could be missing. That's mm. part of your internal qualification process, discussion with your leader, but command of the message or value-based selling, that's the conversation you're having with your customer. So I think that the combination of both of those is really important to have. And it's also really important to make sure that your sellers or your customer success folks, whether it's pre-sales, post-sales, everybody understands how those concepts work together and how in itself, those roles can work together to best support their customers because end of the day, it really is about that customer journey and experience. Hmm. And you mentioned Bant. Is Bant dead or is it alive? Is Bant dead or is oh, it alive? What a, what a question, right? I think I've used Bant, Bant CU whenever I've leaned into Sandler. So I think that at least in, in my world, for me personally, it's... It feels a bit legacy. I feel that medic or med pick feels more in line with you know, value-based selling. I think that there are a lot of components within both that really complement each other. And I think it is because you are focused again on the customer itself. And I think that in pieces of Bant, it can feel more self-centered of it's about us versus it's about our customer. And I think that's what I really value the most about Command of the Message is it's not about you, right? It's about how you're able to support your customer and it's always centered around your customer. And if you have to come to a point where you walk away, that's okay. And I think that that's where some other methodologies can get a, a bit more aggressive rather than like listening and understanding. It's like pushing a solution and trying to make anything fit. And 
I think that's really where I value command of the message the most because it, it doesn't do that, or at least it, it tries not to. A part of the ethos is to, you know, understand, uh, seek to understand, or to be genuinely curious. And to me, in order to do that, you have to understand your customer. Mm, definitely, definitely. And it sounds as though you are a very, very intentional person who cares about creating an incredible buying experience because you said customer centric several times or something along those lines. So I suppose that prompts the question, was there ever a time in your career where you were in an organization where you felt it was more about the sales process and you were like, hold on, we're not thinking about the customer and you felt out of alignment because I think this happens a lot where we end up in an organization where we end up feeling like we have to operate in a way which could be out of alignment with who we are and the way we approach things. Did you ever have an experience like that? Yeah, I think more around me as an individual. I think when I was a previous seller, I had to shift my perspective. And as I was an early seller, I think that I thought more through that lens of, you yeah. know, what am I trying to get out of this conversation? What deal can I close this month? And mm. it was definitely more, you know, me, me, me centric rather than me taking a pause to understand is this something my customer even needs? You know, is this more around something that'll make them more efficient? And I think that for me, that's really where my business took off is when I shifted that thinking. And in my quarterly business reviews, instead of starting with, hey, this is the business you did with us this past quarter or an annual business re review, you know, the past year, I started with, hey, this is what your business did this past quarter because I did research on their 10Ks. I did research on their investor relations reports. I did a Google search, you know, like what, what did they do as a business that we could talk about that I could attach to, but I wanted to call out that, hey, they're doing awesome things as a company. I'm paying attention. I'm doing my research. I'm listening. How does that influence the work we're doing together? And how can we make that connection? And to me, that's really where my business took off. And from an organization standpoint, you know, I think I've been a part of orgs that really push that concept, but don't standardize or hadn't standardized on it. So it was more of, you know, your really successful AEs were taking that approach, but not everyone was in line. And I think that's where this kind of aligns and, and correlates with methodology. You know, if everyone's moving in the same direction, it becomes a lot more impactful rather than you know, some AE is doing it a certain way, some CSMs doing it a certain way, but it's not a standard unified approach. I totally understand where you're coming from when you say the piece of having congruency across the board to be able to even um, measure effectiveness of something and really ensure that everybody's on the same page. But often what can happen is when you follow something to the nth degree, there might be certain things which don't resonate and you're just trying to fit it into your process by a persona. So what would you say, because you, you've never just said in this conversation, you've never said, oh, this specific methodology. You've always found a way to weave in, you know, two or three. So what's your position on the problem that occurs with having one methodology, a one-size-fits-all approach? I think it can create exactly what we're talking about. It becomes more, in, from my perspective, academic. It becomes more like, 
high level conceptual rather than what actually happens, you know, in reality, which is for all humans. And I think that if you take the methodology approach where you're like, hey, sellers, hey, success, you know, this is the thing you need to say. This is how you need to say it. It can become disingenuine and it can also, you know, just it isn't authentic, you know, and your customer can feel that. I, I feel that I get really passionate about that, too, of, you know, you're getting to the end of like a month or a quarter and you're like, oh, you better buy this now or you're going to get a higher price next month. You know, your your customer can feel that desperation. And I feel like your customer can also feel when it doesn't sound like you, it sounds like you're reading from a script. It sounds like you're speaking the same jargon that your company's telling you to speak. I think that when you allow yourself to be more authentic and how you're speaking to things, it comes through and it also builds trust. So to me, I think that's where if you're just like, hey, one size fits all, this is the only way to do it. You may have success doing that. I'm not saying that's completely wrong, but I've had the most success with adoption when saying, hey, here's the context that you need to say. Here's some bullet points. Here's the outcome we're trying to get from those bullet points. But how you go about sharing that with your customer, that should be in your words. You know, we're not trying to create a bunch of robots here, right? We want you to be a human. That's the value that you're bringing this customer. You're you're there, you're listening, you're asking those questions, you're asking them about you know, their career, their goals, you know, you're helping them. So yeah, you have to bring yourself to that conversation too. And if you don't, it's kind of a disservice, not only to yourself, but to your customer. Hmm. I'm curious, is there ever a case for say a new seller who doesn't know what they don't know, and maybe they need that script, which is word for word. Do you ever recommend a new seller to take a look at something word for word and then adapt it as they go? Or do you actually, when you're onboarding new reps, do you give them the opportunity to have freedom within that framework from the get-go? I think it's a mix. You know, I think that there is different experience levels, right? So if an AE comes on board that has been selling for a minute, they have experience with the methodology, they or maybe other methodologies, you know, or this isn't their first time presenting like a new business meeting or presenting a pitch, then it's like they feel more comfortable naturally, typically just giving it a go and just trying. I think for those newer folks who are or maybe they're a bit more of a perfectionist, you know, they, they want to have some kind of framework, some kind of structure, you know, and I dig that. I respect that. You know, it's same. So for those folks and overall, I always recommend like, Hey, get some reps in, right? Get some practice in. And what does that look like? I, I like to write my own script. I usually type it out and then I'll record myself presenting it. And I'll take a moment to say like, all right, Am I using too many filler words here? Am I moving a little faster or slower than I thought that I was? Or is this kind of on par with what I'm feeling? And big fan of practice, practice, practice. So just try it. You know, I think that's the big thing of just go try it. Try it with the customer, see what lands. And if it doesn't, that's okay. (laughs) There's, There's always opportunity to recover. There is always opportunity to keep trying and maybe it just didn't land with that customer. Maybe it will land with someone else. I think this is where like the the kind of testing 
of the experimental part of a methodology comes into play of what works for you and how can you use this to your advantage? How does this become a tool for you to leverage rather than, you know, a checkbox of, oh, I didn't ask that one thing. I know that my leader is going to ding me for that one, or I'm really worried now, feel stressed from not doing this or this. Like, how can we use that instead of like a learning experience? And I think that ties in a lot to the growth mindset of that methodology thought of failing forward here. Like, don't, don't be afraid to fail. It's it's okay. This means we're growing, we're learning, and we'll get better. It just takes time. It's funny you mentioned that piece of not being tied to the methodology because real talk, some of the most impactful deals that I've closed, they've probably gone against everything I was supposed to do, but often you can't say the wrong thing to the right person. But, you know, I hear you. I totally hear you. It's having freedom within the framework, but also being comfortable in your own skin to pivot. And, you know, before we get into how to create and actually implement your own methodology, I'm curious for, you know, we just spoke about the new seller there, but for the seasoned seller, who's like, Laura, don't tell me what to do. I know my thing. I know my stuff, right? I don't need a new methodology. I've always done it this way. And that's the way it's going to be. How do you help somebody like that see the benefits in doing something differently? That's a tough one. And I resonate with that. I think that at a certain point in my career, I felt the same. And I think that I I even had that approach of like, "Mm, I really don't know if that would make sense. I reflect right now on staying in a one-on-one with one of my field sales managers and him being like, LT, just try it. Just like, let's just, just try it. Is give it a try, and if it doesn't work, that's okay. Like we'll we'll pivot and we'll we'll try what you've done in the past and see how that works instead. But my ask here is, you just try with what I'm like coaching you to do, and we'll we'll see what happens. And I think for me, it's like creating that sense of openness. Of okay, you know, I may not completely agree or be like 100% on board, but I'll give it a go. I'll I'll see how it goes and we'll go from there. And I think that's the approach that I typically take with more senior seasoned folks, you know, it's combining those words, but uh, it's more of, Hey, I understand that's how you've done it before. I respect that. If that continues to work for you, go forth and continue conquering. I'm trying to show you another way. And this way has been able to help other AEs achieve, you know, this is where I throw in the data, you know, to support of they're able to close this many more deals. They're able to shorten the deal cycle by this amount. They were able to grow the deal size by this percentage. They're able to speak with a higher level titles that allowed them to multi-thread. And I've kind of let the numbers do the talking at that point of, hey, I'm going to show you one deal size and everything they filled out with command of the message. And then I'm going to show you another one, which is very similar, but has way less amount of information. It's a smaller deal. Which one do you think is the better deal here? You tell me. And then it's kind of like the self-realization of, oh, okay, I see what you're saying. And I try to help it help them see that it's not like an attack or it's not me telling them that they're wrong. I'm just simply showing a different way and another possibility that they could leverage, but it's not a forcing mechanism because I think that's where you know you can get kind of a defense. So 
they're almost your customer too. You know, is how you have to think about it. Like you can't say like, hey, it's my way or the highway here. You have to be kind of open to realize that everyone's going to have differing opinions. Let's make it a conversation and a conversation starter at that rather than it being like the, the end all be all. And they then don't feel comfortable or trusting coming to talk to you about what they're doing and how it's working. Maybe you can lean on it. Maybe you can use it to update your current methodology. So I see it as an opportunity versus like a, a scary or like a roadblock that could potentially happen. Cut pause or whatever we need to say for me to get your attention because before we get back to the show i have some breaking news okay listen ladies and gents feature selling is dead and story selling is alive because if you really want to build trust stand out and close more deals in a recession then you need to try something new so you can drive your company to a world of efficiency and profitability and that's exactly why i've opened up many slots this year for different companies to partner with me for implementing my story selling framework inside of their sales process. Now, the outcomes are all the good stuff. I'm talking about increasing average order value, collapsing time inside of your sales cycle and driving win rates, but more importantly, transforming your team to sell in a way that really focuses on human connection. And hey, that's what I'm all about. So if you're nodding your head right now, then head on down to www therabbyrajani.com forward slash contact to book your complimentary discovery call to see if there's alignment. And hey, if there is, great. And if there's not, that's cool too. I'll see you on the other side. I like the way you infuse data with the storytelling of there's two roads we can go down and allowing that individual to come to their own realization as to what's right for them versus you saying, this is the way, this is the only way, and this is the way it's going to be, my friend. So yeah, I feel you on that. I feel you. So tell me this. Say you joined an organization tomorrow, okay? And they say, Laura, do what you want. Create your own methodology from scratch, but we need you to do it fast, all right? We need you to do it fast. Where would you begin? Where would you begin and what would be your steps to creating one that is unique to the organization and their goals, but still true to everything that you've learned for previous organizations as to what goes down well? I mean, I think that, you know, anytime I join a new company, I try to hold off with feedback, at least until I have some time, you know, so observation time, again, you know, that same thing we were just talking through. I don't want to come in and say like, hey, this is all wrong. This is bad. You know, like, I think that there's some value in the success that's already been had. And I think there's some respect in that too, of you've been able to have this success so far. And that's incredible. And in an effort for us to get to that next level here, we have to put some structure in place because the realm we're trying to get to is a slightly different ball game. And I want to set you up for success. So for me, it all starts with the qualitative data before we get into the quantitative data. So for me, that would mean I'm going to do a bunch of interviews, right? I'm going to ask folks, like, what are they leaning on? How are they having their conversations today? What questions are they asking that are resulting in great answers and understanding? And then I'm going to combine that with listening to gong calls of, are they actually, you know, sharing the real? Or are they interpreting it in the same way? Or when I listen to that gong call, is it slightly different? You know, am I getting a different response or receiving it in a slightly different way? 
than this AE is. And I think what I try to do is combine that of, all right, so this is the bigger story, right? And then maybe some leader interviews in there too, of how were you supporting this AE throughout these conversations or these deals? And who do you think I should speak with next? So then it becomes more of, you know, everyone kind of feels a part of the building of this methodology. And I think that's important for adoption because if they don't feel like they're a part of the building of it, you're going to be met with resistance because it's going to feel very similar to command of the message, which takes the approach of it's seller deficit disorder, which is you're not listening to me and you don't understand my business. So for creating a methodology in itself, if you aren't listening to everyone around you and they're sharing and you aren't taking time to understand the business, it's going to be an uphill battle and an effort to get any methodology off the ground. So for me, that's kind of where I would start. And then I would start leaning on my network of enablement professionals out there of, hey, these are some methodologies that I've used. Here's what they use here. You have any advice? What's working for you in your organization? Then leaning on you know other consultants out there of that actually implement those methodologies. I would just really take advantage of the network that I have and talk to as many people and, and just really get a, the lay of the land, not only internally, but externally with folks that are in similar spaces of, hey, this is this working for you there? How was it to get this adopted there? Should I go the route of creating something new or should I lean on something that exists or does this look like a combination of a couple of things? And overall, any methodology that you roll out, whether you, you're creating it yourself, whether you are leaning on an outside consultant, it takes time. So it's really the, there's the long game. To me, methodology is the long, long game because there's so many different stages of it. It's this research part we're talking about, the discovery part. And you get to like, all right, we're going to implement this thing. We're going to get this rolling out and you get to the adoption part. And then you get to the retention of, all right, we're going to keep walking through this. We're going to keep walking through this and institutionalize it. So it's uh, it's almost like a never ending rollout is how I see methodology. So if you're undertaking something like this, lean into help because it's a big project and it takes everybody to be on board in order for you to get solid adoption. You mentioned something earlier about getting feedback from people to ensure that they feel like they are a part of the process. On the flip side, sometimes too many cooks can spoil the broth, mm. as we say in the UK. Yep. So how do you decipher the good opinions and thoughts with ones that don't connect? I mean, I think this is, this is a really like early lesson in in my career when I was speaking with one of my like first like enablement directors. I asked him that question, you know, what do you do when someone gives you feedback that isn't great or they give you like a recommendation and you're like, in the back of my mind, I know we're kind of already working on that, you know, or it's just not, it doesn't make sense to work on right now. What What do you say? And his answer at the time was, you just nod and say, that's a great idea. And you just move forward. So I, I kind of take a flavor of that of, you know, it's like, it's an interesting perspective. I haven't really heard that from other folks today. I, If you have a gong call, I'd love to see like what you're really talking through. So I make sure I'm understanding correctly. 
Here's what I'm hearing from other people. Here is some reasoning why I think I'm hearing that. So I'm a bit more transparent of what's going on in the background that I'm hearing. And if it doesn't align or, hey, like, that's a great topic. Maybe we can't cover that one today, but here's what other things are going on. Maybe we can attach it there. So I try to lean more into transparency, but not too much where it creates like an overwhelming or kind of like lifting up an opinion that I'm like, hey, let's take a pause here before we lean too hard in that direction. So I try to be as mindful and kind as possible, but I'm also really direct and that may not be in line with what we're speaking about with this particular thing. I'm going to double check with other folks and see if they're hearing the same thing. But this is the why behind me collecting this feedback. And sometimes that helps them understand, too, if they feel like their feedback isn't being heard, why it isn't, because it, it doesn't align to the greater you know, ideal that we're trying to understand to push forward a project or initiative. Hmm. Mm, interesting advice that your first mentor taught you. Interesting advice. So mm-hmm. when you take it to the second phase after the research and discovery piece, you mentioned taking what's worked for other enablement professionals as well as looking at the wins of the organization and having a level of respect as to what's worked for them and then combining the two. Now, when you are taking something like this to a group of salespeople and you want to enhance adoption, but you're also having to consistently test, tweak and iterate, it might feel like a sales to a salesperson, like that you're constantly moving the goalposts. You're like, yeah, I know, but we're just trying to make it better. How do you balance increasing adoption and also using the data to test and tweak without losing people along the way? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the hard part, right? Because if we're thinking about that seasoned AE, right, of, all right, I tried it and didn't work, you know, like maybe maybe it was like one time, right? Of like, hey, I tried it once, that's enough for me, moved on, I'm still doing my own thing, hey, and it's still working. So I think that in those kind of moments, for me, what I try to do is help them understand that you're already having this conversation. This is, it's already happening. And in, in all the interviews that I've done and in, in everything that I understand of the business, you're already doing this. So it shouldn't feel like too much of a shift. The only thing that I'm asking you to do is ask a couple more questions, right? Get more understanding of the quantitative benefits of the future state that we're describing, or dig a little bit more into the current challenges that they're facing, because that's going to help you give them a better demo. That's going to help you get more budget. That's going to help you get to higher levels of influence. Like That's going to help you close a larger deal. So I think that similar to methodology being centered on the customer, you have to help the AE understand that this is for them to help them. And they're doing a lot of those activities already. How can we just tweak that a little bit and day after day, just get a little bit better at the questions we're asking? Because in reality, that's really what the methodology, at least in my experience, is. It's how can you be better at discovery? And how can you ask more discovery questions, not only at the beginning of a sales cycle, but throughout? Because you should always be qualifying every single step of the way, even if you feel 100% confident that this is going to close you should still be asking those questions and reconfirming and revalidating 
every step of the way so that by the time it does get to your post-sales friends, they're able to realize the value you've been able to uncover and that customer will renew and they'll expand. And that's what the reality of a healthy customer really looks like is they were able to uncover the value. They're able to realize that value. They're able to be delivered that value. And because of their happiness with the product, they buy more and they use it more and they understand the value that is your product and you don't become on that shopping block. You know, when they get to next year, even this year, you know, macro economy is still not where it was once upon a time. So you really have to be able to sell that value. So it's it's helping your AE understand that of this is why we're moving in this direction and here's how it helps you get there. I want you to hit your number. I want you to make all the money you want to make or achieve your goals. You know, maybe you aren't money motivated. That's okay too. Like what do you what is your why? You know, I think that's where it's really helpful too on one of our our leaders last week led a session around what drives your purpose. And I think that's where like the combination of, you know, methodology and also culture comes to play. You know, is this a culture of growing? Is this a culture of learning, development? And how as an org can we get to the goals that we have? That's by all of us individually achieving our goals too and getting there as a team. So it's kind of helping them see the big picture versus just short-term time frame that they could get caught in, which I mean, I have too, so I understand. One thing that's interesting about you, you, I just did a little song there, but yeah, Yoohoo is your <laughs> your focus on Wiffum, right? Wiffum, what's in it for me? Because at every yeah. stage of this conversation, you've gone back to the buyer or the individual that you need to impact and influence. So I love that. I love that. Yeah. One thing that's coming up for me is let's say you've got an organization who in their SME team have a one call close format, but then in their enterprise team, it's like a 12 to 18 month sales cycle. How do you find a methodology that, or can you find a methodology that suits both of those selling styles and sales processes? Yeah, and that's a tough one, right? I think that of everything we've talked about, I think that's the hardest part, right? That you're not only speaking with maybe a new AE or a seasoned AE, but also different segments right? Because those different segments are selling to different customers and those customers have different sales cycles for themselves. So I think that in moments like that, I typically take the approach of, hey, SMB, like for you, you may not have to fill out everything, right? You may not need all the letters of medic mm-hmm. or medpick. You may not need the, all the entire value-based conversation, But by taking time to learn these pieces of the business, that'll help you get to the next level if you're looking to move into enterprise one day, right? So it's like, how can we start practicing those fundamentals now so that when you do get to that point, you're set up for success and you've done all the, the practice and the groundwork to get you there. For the enterprise sellers, it's slightly different, right? It's like, hey, you should get all of the letters, or you should get all of these pieces to the conversation. You may have gotten away with that before, but we need to find ways to really tie to value. Because if you don't, that could put your post-sales friends in a tough position. And that's really where I try to shift perspective on, yeah, it's closed one. 
yeah, you, you did the thing and that's great. And we celebrate that, but how can we make sure that that's a successful customer moving forward? You have to really dig in and understand their true challenges or hey, next year, they, this customer that you're really excited to get on board is like, all right, I'm out. I use your competitors. I don't understand why we're still using your product. It's a lower like budget item for us. You're not getting the value that was promised. You know, you end up with an unhappy customer and customer retention becomes an issue. So it's, it's helping everybody see that we're all a team working together and it's that customer journey. But it's, it's tough because I, I agree that methodology overall isn't going to be like a, a fit necessarily for SMB, but you have to help them see like the pieces that do help them and do align to them and what they can do to help. And I, I think of like the SDR org, the BDR org, you know, maybe for them, they need to identify certain pieces of medic in order to qualify something to hand to their AE. So it's from that approach to there's so many variables you can think about with methodology and I really encourage any sales leader or enablement professional out there as you're thinking through this to, to take time to understand the nuances because that's also really key to adoption and understanding of what this means for them. So exactly what we keep talking about, what's the so what when it comes to SMB, when it comes to your SDR, BDR roles, and of definitely what it means for enterprise and the differences there. There has to be something for everyone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And ladies and gents, for those of you listening to this right now, I hope you take away from this episode that there is no formula. There is a, once again, a framework, but it boils down to you really tapping into what is right for you in the context of your clients, the buying experience that you want to create, and also the people in front of you who are going to be selling the product. I think there's so many things to think about rather than, oh, I love MedPick, let's include it here, or I love Gap, yeah, that's the way we're going to do it. So interesting, interesting. Now, what I would say is, is, is my penultimate question. What I would say is, is I think many people struggle with understanding when something is effective and then being able to know what they did to make it effective. On that first part of that statement on how to understand when something's effective, how do you with a new methodology? What is one KPI or metric that we can look at to assess the effectiveness of a brand new methodology? Yeah, I mean, I think that there there are a couple of different data points that you could lean on. I think that one initially, it's something I've talked about already, but Gong is really helpful. Gong has a lot of tags that you can leverage to start to understand like the conversations and yeah. the questions that are being asked. I think that you could sort by you know your closed one and see like how frequently. The pieces of the conversation are coming up. That's one way. Also seeing like the level of titles that these folks are speaking with in those closed one deals. Like, has there been an increase in the title that they're speaking with or the amount of people they're speaking with versus, you know, before you had methodology? So it's kind of like your like previous state versus future state and cross comparing in conversation analytics. I think that you can also look to Salesforce and there are ways that you can add in MedPick or Command of the Message in any deal that they are adding as an opportunity, right? So I think that 
as you're starting, it's it's kind of difficult to f- determine, you know, how effective is this? So I like to start with more, I'd say like surface level, like KPIs of like how frequently is this coming up in conversation? And is this more than it was before? And how does that relate to who they're speaking with and what they're speaking about? And can we tie that to like the closed deals that were closed? What's the revenue size? Is there some increase there? And find ways to just continue speaking to the methodology and knowing it's going to take time. It's going to be like at least six months to a year before you really start to see like the change in effectiveness or be able to measure it. But out the gate, I do recommend like finding some way to measure how frequently it's coming up in conversation so that you have an idea of where to continue your retention training, because you're not going to be able to go through necessarily all of it. Ideally, it's like, all right, they're having some struggles with asking questions around, you know, the metrics, for example, or the negative consequences. Can we have a retention enablement session focused on just that, right? Or maybe it's negotiation. You know, maybe they're they're having a tough time when they get to a certain part of the deal cycle. Can we talk through the why there? Or hey, maybe it's a competitor that keeps coming up and we're noticing this in in their conversation around value. How can we enable them to start speaking to our differentiation? Can we have a session just dedicated to that of this is the trap setting question that you could ask based on our differentiator versus the competitor they're positioning us against. So there's a lot of different ways you could go about it. I think this is again, right? There's not a one size fits all, but it's important to try something so you have an understanding of where to go next. There you have it, ladies and gents, Laura Torres on how to create and implement a sales methodology without a cookie cutter approach. So Laura, tell me this. I always ask this final question. Okay. Who do you look up to as an influential communicator? And I've got to ask that, right? Because the show is called The Influential Communicator. So who do you look up to specifically? Who who do I look up to? There are so many incredible communicators in my life. And I think that right now, someone that I extremely value and I'm so, so grateful for is is Stephanie Madal. And she is an incredible enablement leader. I uh, speak with her on a, a regular basis. She's an enablement coach. She has an enablement consulting arm as well to her business which is go-to-market Phoenix Consulting. So I definitely recommend following her if you aren't. But she has such a unique perspective to me because it's so honest, it's so authentic, and it really helps me see another perspective. So again, I think I've already talked about, you know, the importance of a network. I would strongly recommend to any enablement person out there, any sales leader out there, make sure you're networking and you're speaking with other folks outside of your company, outside of your team, outside of your org. It's important to stay you know, up to date, fresh, getting different perspectives, and especially for people that have more experience or different experience than you do kind of help you all together and make sure you're seeing the full picture and full story. And Stephanie absolutely does that for me. So I have to give her a shout out. I'm incredibly grateful for her. And she's a fantastic communicator and definitely someone that I aspire to be like, similar to in my enablement journey. 
Love it. Love it. Well, ladies and gents, if you want to learn more about Laura and what she's up to, go check her out on LinkedIn and also go check out Notion.com. I'm pretty sure most, I don't know, like most companies, most individual creators, anybody who's anybody uses Notion or a similar platform. So go check it out. Laura, is it just Notion.com or is there something specific you have for the audience here? Yeah, I believe, let's give it a go. Definitely Notion.com. And I would say that as you are checking out Notion, it's Notion.so actually, I, I would recommend you check out Notion AI. It's something that was recently released. I personally use it for editing and rewriting my own content. So if you're out there and you want to make your voice a bit more confident or you want to make it more professional or you want to summarize your notes into action items or if you have a global team like I do and you want to translate to a different language, check it out. I think there's a lot of AI out there. I think Notion has a really unique take to it and I recommend checking it out. There you have it, ladies and gents. The link will be in the show notes and I'll see you next week, same time, same place for another episode. Peace. I have a question for you, my friend. And that question is, is what would it take to have you subscribe to the Influential Communicator podcast and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Because I tell you what, my friend, my big mission is to help B2B sellers and all listeners of this show sell more by becoming influential storytellers and communicators without without suppressing their personality and disowning their value. So hey, the more the word gets out about this podcast, the more people we can gather on this mission. So if you could support me, then hey, that would be dope. And if not, that's dope too. Either way, I got love for you. All right. I'll see you on the other side.